welcome to the British History Podcast. If you love British history, then you are definitely in the right place. My name is Philippa and I will be taking you through British history, the people, the events, the intrigue. Some of the stories you may think you know, but you don't know them in the way I tell them. And then hopefully I will also be able to introduce you to something new too. Now this podcast is free and it always will be. But if you would like more History Lover benefits, then please consider coming and joining me over on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash British History. But for now, let's get into today's episode. Hello everyone, welcome to this rather impromptu Tea Time Live, Uh, not on a Thursday, (laughs) I'm actually sat in my tent on a Saturday night and I decided that um, why not do while I have some time uh, and some quiet do a tea time live for you. Normally on the podcast you would be catching up on the audio version of the live stream on YouTube and Instagram but this time I am doing this directly onto the podcast. So what was I going to talk to you about? Well, as um, you will know, if you're a regular listen- listener to the podcast, I'm taking the month of August uh, out. I am away camping. And I'm in a fantastic part of my country. Um, we're in the county of Somerset and in an area called Exmoor. Exmoor has an ancient landscape. It's got those sort of chocolate box images of thatched cottages, tea rooms, um, impassable by two vehicles, uh, roadways. Um, it's horses, you know, you go down, a, down any road and you will be met by people on horseback, walkers, um, and I find it totally and utterly enchanting. It's somewhere I've been coming since I was a child. And so for that reason, I suppose it holds a special place in my heart. But there is definitely something um, that links us here to our past. It's everywhere. Like I say, with your thatched cottages, they're, I don't know how old, they're very old. You can see evidence just from the outside of things like bread ovens that were incorporated into them. I went past a house the other day that had a fire brigade, um, well, it was a fire insurance uh, sort of badge that you put on the outside of your house that if your house set on fire, the fire brigade would come and put it out or at least attempt to put it out if you didn't have one of these insurance policies if you didn't have one of these badges on your house that wouldn't happen your house would be left to burn um and that sort of recent history you go for a walk and you will find roman forts iron age forts ancient wells and ancient pathways i mean it is beyond enchanting and for a history lover someone who is tuned in uh, with their eyes and their ears to history around you 
um, any of you listening today, I am sure, would just be taken and would want to come back again and again like I do. But, so what else was I going to tell you? I've been exploring, uh, as you would expect. I've been relaxing, but I've been exploring as well. And I mentioned there about the Roman fort, and that was one of the places I was uh, exploring uh, the other day. I've put some images on Instagram, if you would like to go and have a look. Um, It's difficult to take a good photograph because they're earthworks. And when you're there, you can see the contours, you can see the dips and the the height differentials, which is difficult to get across on, um, on photographs. Is actually termed a Roman fortlet, which I take to mean a small fort. <laughs> and it was circular in shape. The original entrance uh, way was still there in terms of earthwork. So you had, a, if you can imagine, think of it like a moat, although it wasn't a moat, around the outside. And there's one section which is at... Uh, at, at at sort of floor level if you like and that is the entrance way and then there were another multiple um, I think two or three layers beyond that all in, circ- in a circular shape and it's perched high on the hillside overlooking the coast and with views for miles um, I don't know why it was there I haven't uh, been able to find that out yet but it's simply amazing to think you're stood where um, where people once were and that this is all that is, is remaining. I am off to look at an Iron Age fort. Um, it's, it's called ca- a castle. I don't know why it's been termed a castle. Um, but it is a scheduled monument. So you may or may not know, in uh, this country we have a system of um, protecting heritage sites that isn't just buildings so you you may have heard of grade one grade two listed buildings and they have different um, restrictions on them as to what you can do and how you can do what you do to them that also can apply to earthworks and it does apply to um, an iron age for earthworks that i'm going to be visiting in the next um uh, the next few days actually because I'm going to be doing a recording for my uh, Patreon group from there another place that I will be going to is called Cleve Abbey which is um, a, it's, sort of, it's quite a complete monastery actually <laughs> a complete abbey um, as far as abbeys obviously in England go after the dissolution and you can go into the chapter house you can go into the dormitory you can go into um, where the uh, senior monks slept not the abbot there's also an abbot's house and you can also go into the refectory in fact there's two refectories one there's just the floor remaining and uh, English Heritage who run the site have built a building around it to protect it that was the original refectory and you've still got the floor tiles there and then there's a a later refectory as well 
so I'm going to be visiting there and also doing a, uh, a virtual tour of that for my Patreon as well. Each month there's either a historian interview or a, a virtual tour, so um, that's going to be for September. So it's, there's loads to explore around here, but the, 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 the ancient history is what's really getting me about this place. It's just, it's all around. You can kind of feel it, if that's not too woo-woo <laughs> uh, a thing to say. You're walking on paths that have been ground, uh, you know, it's forged into the hillside by um, the feet of people for thousands of years. So around here, there's a big iron um, um, uh, smelting, whatever uh, you would call it, um, area where people would mine the iron ore. You would have colliers who would create the charcoal. Charcoal burns at a much higher temperature um, than sort of your coal or just wood. Um, so it would probably just be in wood then. So charcoal was really useful. So you'd have your colliers who were doing that and you'd have the, the people who could... Um, could smelt iron out of the iron ore, um, and there's that was that was that was really um, prevalent in this area. So it's just quite fantastic. You've got things like pack horse bridges, little stone-built solid bridges over streams where the the horses, um, well, they're called pack horse or horse uh, bridges, where uh, horses donkeys small horses small donkeys would be laden with uh, with goods um, and would be transporting them up and down the hills so it's really amazing but anyway I thought you might just be interested to hear that uh, there's no escape there's no escape. I don't want to escape history but uh, it's 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 just a fascinating place fascinating place um so there you go. Now, while I'm away, I am taking the opportunity to do some reading. And I am reading Anne Somerset's biography of Queen Anne, which I may or may not have shown you or talked about um, in a previous episode. I can't remember. It's huge, <laughs> which is why I've not started it before. Fascinating. I have to say, so far, and I can't see it changing now, Queen Anne as a person... Um, She's quite fanatical in terms of her religion. Very um, country-minded, but in terms of she knows, uh, you know, the, the, the right religion the country has to follow um, and what's best for the country. So when she says um, that everything she does is for England, it's very much she knows what she wants for England. Um, so uh, kind of like in a motherly way, I know what's best for you. <laughs> um, but her religious fanaticism when she was younger is quite startling um, to the point that when her baby half-brother was born, um, the son of uh, her father, James II, and, uh, and his second wife, uh, Mary Beatrice, when, when the baby was born, not only had she gone along and maybe started a few rumours that the um, that Mary Beatrice wasn't really pregnant or that um, if she was then there were there were plans afoot to bring in a changeling so change the baby um, in case it was a girl make sure it's going to be a boy and the problem here was that James II was a Catholic and he was he was actually 
um, from from reading in this biography, he was actually more of a moderate uh, in terms of religious tolerance to Protestants and um, um, th- sorry, then then I think and also I think they're called dissidents. I might have that wrong, but basically Protestants who um, who weren't really going to church, who weren't really kind of as fanatical. Um, he was way more tolerant of um, of that than Anne was in response. But, um, sorry, as an example, yes, of her fanaticism, and when Anne's half-brother baby, half was born, she even comments um, when he's sick that it would be sort of better if he dies. Um, better if he dies than having a Catholic heir to the throne. So much was her belief that, um, that Catholicism was evil and and that Protestantism wasn't, <laughs> whilst being quite evil in her own thoughts. Um, so that's that's very interesting. When she when she so I'm I'm now up to the part where she has become queen. Um, now she becomes queen when her sister, well, her sister Mary becomes joint monarch with her brother-in-law William of Orange. They become Mary II and William the Third. This is the glorious revolution when Mary and William come to the throne, which is a cynical title. Um, this is the overthrowing of James II, him being a Catholic, and precipitated actually by the birth of this, this young boy, James, who does, actually, uh, who does survive. Um, and James II is ousted from his throne. He's forced to... Um, to flee actually and later parliament claimed that he's abdicated the throne and therefore they can uh, they can nominate Mary and her husband William. Um, Anne is in support of this so James sounds like a very dedicated father actually and he genuinely sounds uh, he sounds sorry genuinely hurt um, that his daughters betrayed him in this way. Like I say he sounds far more moderate than, than Anne and her sister actually do. Um, but so when uh, Mary dies, actually William continues. He's not English, he wasn't in the Bible. He was actually um, fourth in line to the throne after Anne in his own right. But he continues to rule until he dies after a, uh, a riding accident at Hampton Court. And he dies and Anne comes to the uh, the throne of England and the throne of Scotland remembering at this point the the thrones were the crowns were separate supposedly the government was separate as well but Scotland were just expected to toe the line of whatever the English government decided um, and it's under Anne that you would get the union and the United Kingdom of Great Britain is formed and so she becomes Queen Anne of Britain, the first monarch to be um, monarch over that joined up country. Um, and yeah, so, she, so it's a fascinating book. Anne does not endear herself to me, I have to say. She doesn't have the personality of, uh, of someone I think is easy to admire. She wasn't educated. Now this is what I found really interesting. She was not educated to anywhere near the standard of the, the female monarch who came before her in her own right, the, 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 the last female monarch to 
uh, rule in her own right before Anne had been Elizabeth I. Remembering that at the age of two years old, Elizabeth I um, was delegitimized, her mother had been executed, Anne Boleyn, and yet Elizabeth received a top-notch education. She knew her history, she knew her politics, she knew her languages, she knew diplomacy, she knew court, um, you know, courtly love, she knew the lot. She was extremely intelligent, but she was extremely well educated and did not get that education. She was ill prepared, very ill prepared um, for the throne. And actually she invoked the memory of Elizabeth a lot and so did um, her supporters as kind of proof that of course Anne can rule because look at Elizabeth but in reality Anne was no match for Elizabeth in terms of um, even understanding uh, what was what was happening although I would say Anne did seem to have some good advisors so far um, in in from what I'm reading in in this book Um, so really interesting I'm about halfway through so I'm sure I will be uh, updating you again soon (laughs) when I've got to the end and then I have about another four books I don't know how long I thought I was going to be away for but I don't think I'll be getting through them all (laughs) one's on King John uh, by Mark Morris one is uh, The Sisters Who Would Be Queen which is about the Grey Sisters that's by Leander Delisle uh, and I also have Houses of Power by Simon Thurley to finish as well. So, um, yeah, as long as someone else feeds me uh, and I don't shower for the rest of the holiday, then perhaps I will get through those books. <laughs> um, so what else did I want to talk about? I was going to talk about the physical history, actually, um, back to where I am. I went on a walk the other day. I walked past uh, Packhorse Bridges, this is on the same walk. Packhorse bridges, thatched cottages with bread ovens inside, lime kilns, uh, a disused golf course or the remnants of a disused golf course, a petrified forest, a uh, it's called a diversionary man's cottage, which I'm not quite sure what that means, uh, which I need to look up. Um, but there uh, and pillboxes. And then to a uh, harbour which dates from the 14th century. No, 15th century, 1400s, that's right. All on the same walk. And actually, if I'd have gone slightly further, I could have, I could have probably hit a few of the Iron Age, uh, <laughs> an Iron Age settlement or two as well. Incredible. And what, hit, what, what sort of got me about that is the changing um, use of the land as humans change how we use it. I was going to say adapt, but adapt makes it sound like we're progressing and I'm not 100% convinced that we are progressing, but anyway, that's possibly a topic for another day. Um, But in that walk, you could see industry. So the lime kilns, for instance, um, lime, this is on a bay, and the lime would be brought in by sea, um, where it from where it had been mined, which I actually don't know where it was mined, but it was brought in and it was, um, and it, the lime kilns treated the lime in order for it to be used then on the farmland. And these lime kilns um, that remain, the, or the remains that you can see, are uh, on the edge of 
rocky, very, very stony beach. And you go a little bit further along and you come to a pillbox. And these pillboxes were built um, of the same stone from the beach uh, in World War II as lookout posts. And a few of them remain. And the one that I walk past you can actually walk into. Again, another piece of evidence, another... Um, it's, it tells a story, doesn't it, of how how the landscape has been used because of humans and because of what we've been up to. Um, and you can walk into the pillbox and think, someone was here. Someone was here having to look out for an enemy invasion um, less than 100 years ago. It's quite poignant. Um, and I've already mentioned the walkways, the roads, these are built up. You see a tarmac road, most of the time that's tarmacked. Um, or I think if you're in America, you might call it bitumen, I'm not sure. But basically where you've made, they've made the road um, a proper road now for vehicles. But the road is just where humans had a road before. Um, so just this evolution of the landscape. And like I say, um, you know, we don't actually just use the landscape and take it over. Like with the lime kilns, they're now in ruin on the edge of the beach. Um, they're quite picturesque, actually. Um, and then you walk through what was hoped to be a golf course. <laughs> where this is, um, I find this slightly amusing, actually. This is where humans have done their best to take, um, uh, reclaim land and nature has had its own way. So there's wetlands, uh, or they, be they become wet at certain times and, um, and humans have tried to reclaim, drain the land, build on the land over and over and over and it's finally been abandoned and said, nope, nature can take its course. Um, but you still have in parts um, the kind of grass they use on golf courses, which is very tight uh, and short. Um, so you've got this evidence of where they try, people try to create a golf course. It's quite funny. Um, I'm going to leave it there. Thank you so much for joining me for this impromptu tea time. Um, I may well do another one before the end of the month. I'm not sure. If not, I will be back. Um, recording the next live stream on the 2nd of September. That's uh, Thursday, the 2nd of September. In the meantime, take care and I will see you all very soon.